Hey everybody, the morning keeps humming and your butt keeps us drumming. Welcome to Deep Shit, this is Baron Vaughn. I don't know what the hell that was, but I've said it out loud and now I'm going to continue speaking like nothing ever happened. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's ignore it and just move on right now. Um, it is February of 2013 and uh, that means that January is officially done and it means that Black History Month has officially started. Um, I did something the other day. Speaking of Black History Month, uh, not really related to Black History Month. As much as it was a movie about a black comedian, by a black comedian, written starring a black comedian about his own life. I watched a legendary movie called Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Now, this movie is, uh, is the stuff of legend in terms of comedy because it's written and directed and starring Richard Pryor about the life of Richard Pryor. He made this movie after his uh, famous uh, setting himself on fire incident uh, when he was freebasing and he set himself on fire and suffered from third-degree burns. And uh, it seemed like he was going to die for a really long time, but he pulled through. And he later, 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 not maybe not, maybe not that later, but he later admitted that it was a suicide attempt. Um, but, of course, the press is like, well, blah, it was an accident, something. He was cooking some waffles. And things just went up. You know how waffles get 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 ahead of you. You know how you get sometimes waffles just they get away from you. You just you know it's less less waffles and more like what you know what I'm saying. Putting the why in waffles anyway. Richard Pryor's gonna be fine. Uh, so this movie Jojo Dancer uh, basically starts with that kind of that scene with him setting himself on fire, getting in the hospital. Then the spirit himself. The name of the character is Jojo Dancer. That's the name of the character. Someone is named Jojo Dancer, okay? So he steps out of his own body, and then he kind of takes himself on the journey of his life, the story of his life, getting himself to the moment where he was doing these drugs, where he set himself on fire. Um, but the movie is a hot mess, it's a beautiful, beautiful hot mess because it's Richard Pryor. And I love Richard Pryor in, in all sorts of ways. But you kind of see what he did to become a good comedian, like him getting a job at a comedy club, him moving out of his parents' house, even though he was married but still living with his parents. Him and his wife were living with his parents. Then him leaving his small town for a bigger city, trying to make it, um, and then all of his different dalliances with women because Richard Pryor was married a couple times and he married two women twice that's incredible that's incredible that he married two women twice <laughs> he had a lot of kids by all those different women and I think he had like four wives or something like that anyway um, point is the movie just kind of falls apart because there's points where he's talking the alter ego of himself is talking to the, his past versions of himself or talking to the characters in that time period and you're like wait a minute who what's happening right now and there's scenes where you're like is he living that scene in the present or is it his alter ego experiencing that scene from the present into the past or what where, where, where are we i don't know where we are then the movie just kind of ends and it doesn't really explain how he got to where he is as much as it's sort of like a hodgepodge of different significant life events that he's reliving as a means to give himself hope to pull through, even though the things that he shows us, some of them all kind of suck. 
and they're they're hilarious things and this is all based on his own life like these are things that really happened but just like any biopic it's really hard to condense one really interesting life into 90 minutes of a movie that's why it kind of falls apart it just kind of ends but it's still interesting to watch because it's Richard Pryor and I like watching Richard Pryor no matter what the fuck he is he was doing you know speaking of like that's what that's the whole thing about biopics like just like Lincoln I saw it you know very different than Jojo Dancer Your Life is Calling but uh apparently Tony Kushner very famous Tony Award Pulitzer Award winning playwright who wrote the screenplay turned in like a 500 page screenplay and then they picked one section of it, one two-hour section, to make the movie out of. Because, uh-oh, I'm yawning. I'm yawning. Why do I, I just, I do this at night, and I start talking, and I start breathing, and my brain's like, yeah, I'm going to yawn right now. But I can't stop talking. I can't ignore that that happened. Anyway, I was talking about Lincoln. I don't give a fuck anymore. Just move on. Uh, I just saw some bad news. I have to turn off this damn, I have a, Associated Press news app and I need to turn it off because I keep getting fucking news that is a bummer. Today was the Super Bowl. So you're listening to this tomorrow morning or whenever. You're listening to it this week. Today is Sunday, the day that the, the right now I'm recording is, is the day that the Super Bowl happened. The Super Bowl's already o- or, over. Orver. The Super Bowl's already over. The uh, the Baltimore Ravens won. Uh, is that right? Baltimore Ravens. And uh, I hope some of you give a shit or are happier or are going to find a reason to get through the week because the team you liked th- did something. A bunch of millionaires that shoot steroids achieved something and it felt like it gave you meaning. I hope that that is what's happening for you today. So I got this. Uh, I just went over to my gas station I live next to to indulge in one of my true weaknesses, Cherry Coke. And uh, I got an alarm from the AP News app that a tourist bus crashed in Northern California and eight people are dead. So that's always great to just look down at your phone and see that, you know. Oh, is that a text message? Nope, just a reminder that death is happening right now. That's what's happening. It sucks. I hate death. I, I, I hate people getting killed. It's never good. People getting murdered and killed or accidentally killed, blown up. It's fucking this is this is the this is the least passionate <laughs> uh you've ever heard anyone talk about that. I, I don't really like death, just nonchalantly like humanity's cool, I guess. I'm I I'm just I'm I'm getting better, guys. That's what I'm trying to get at, I guess. Not that I was doing bad before, but You've you've been listening to this podcast. I get down on myself for no fucking reason. And that leads us into the subject today, which is patience with um, Hassan Minaj. Uh, This is a really great conversation. And Hassan and I are, I'm learning, very, very similar people in where we go in our crazy neuroses about ourselves. Um, Is that redundant? Crazy Crazy neuroses about ourselves? Where we go in our crazy neuroses. We're very similar people. And um, the subject is patience and being patient with oneself, being patient with the world around you, people outside yourself. Uh, and um, it's a good, it was a good conversation. And we're, we're, we're both in upswings. And I'm, I'm trying that positivity thing. You guys have been hearing me talking about it. It's exhausting. But fucking just do it. Why not? 
get over myself, right? That's what I'm supposed to do, right? Batman Arkham City, I'm looking at a copy of Batman Arkham City sitting on my table, so I'm talking to it as if I have a partner in this crime of talking to you guys. Right, Batman Arkham City? Thank you. Shit. Anyway, here's Hassan. Retina Facebook. What? Did you retina Facebook, Bossy Pants? Oh, no, I haven't yet. Do you mind if I give away a little snippet of it? Dude, do it. Do okay. it. Okay. So there was that moment where she sat down with Lauren Michaels, mm-hmm. right? Right when she was about to get the job. And Lauren goes, Are you happy? And she goes, What do you mean by that? Are you happy with the way things are and your the way your life is? Yeah. She goes, Well, you got you're hired, but just know that if you're not happy now, nothing's gonna change. You're a staff writer, you're not gonna be happy. You're the head writer. You're not going to be happy. You start getting into sketches. You're not going to be happy if you're not happy right now in this moment. And I thought that was such a great. That was one of the best takeaway points. And that's absolutely true. It's like it doesn't stop. You know, you. That's why you have to, or I have to. I hate speaking when when I was in theater school. Yeah. yeah. When people talk about their own feelings, uh-huh. they say you. They use the general you. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like you know how when you and you and like and you got to do this and you got to do that. And our teacher used to say, "Say I," right, right, because you're talking from your own experience. You can't speak for everybody. Yeah, well, take ownership. Yeah, take ownership of, of, of your, your words. words. Yeah, of your words and your feelings. And yeah. there's like a subtle subconscious thing that we're we're backing off of our statements so as not to be, I guess, seem arrogant or narcissistic or a know it all. Uh-huh. So people go, "You know how when you?" That's it's also the comedy thing of like. Asking a rhetorical question. Yeah. I remember reading that in the book that the guy's like, you never, there's no reason for a rhetorical question unless yeah. the pun, unless it's a punchline. Yeah. But there's no reason to ask a rhetorical question of the audience. Yeah. To be like, you know, like, hey, you guys, you guys watch, you guys like sports? Who gives a shit? Tell a joke about sports. Right. right. You don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they like, but that means like when comedians are like, oh, it gets them on my side. They do not care. And it actually makes you seem unsure of yourself. Okay. That was what this said. This guy said. What about what about the idea when comics come out and they go, "What's up?" He hates that too. Really? Yeah, that's what he was saying. He's like, "There's no." Maybe it was a different book, but he's like, "There's there's no reason to." Because I've heard another side of the argument, which is similar to what you're yeah. saying. It's <clears throat> a lot of they say they say great things. A great stand-up comic is establishing dialogue. Yes. With the audience. Yeah. Right. They're one person, and they've established they've summed up the audience as one. Yes. And much like if me and you were talking at a diner, you go, uh-huh. I would go, you've seen Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah. Or I wouldn't go, here's the thing with Pulp Fiction. That book is suggesting get rid of that part, that dialogue part that we naturally do. Yeah. I see the argument in that, and I also see the argument at the counter. Well, do you know what I'm saying? I, it is, you can say what's up, but he's just like, why not write a, an opening joke? Right. You don't have to, because because I I totally agree. I remember um, all all uh, Victor Varnado, yeah, um, who was just on the podcast, yeah. When we we were in Boston, uh-huh. we did the Boston Comedy Festival. Actually, I I didn't do it that year. He did it. A bunch uh-huh. of New York comics came and did it, uh-huh. and I did it. I ended up doing like a college that was near, so I came into Boston and hung out. Uh-huh. And another comic who I'll say, well, I mean unnamed, who I was like, he's gonna take it. You know, I was like, one of you guys is going to win this. Uh-huh. And he made it to the semifinals, this other comic, and he didn't make it past the semifinals. And I was floored. I was like, how did that how did not that... happen? Yeah. And what Victor said is, I think he got nervous, 
Because when he walked on stage, there was no point where he acknowledged the audience. He just went on stage and started talking and started doing his jokes. But because there wasn't that acknowledgement, yeah. it came off as if he was in the middle of a sentence and we're now only hearing it. Yeah. So it's like we didn't get the first part of it. Totally. So, so it was just kind of like you go into, here's the thing with Pulp Fiction. It's like, whoa, what? We're well, talking about whoa, Pulp Fiction now? Yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever realized this when you're on stage? <clears throat> I had this moment when I have friends from back home who grew up who knew me before I was a comic. Right, right. We're getting to that point in our lives where there might there will be more years of us being stand-up comedians than there were us not being, being comedians. comedians. Yeah. And th- it, we can, f- like, without a shadow of a doubt, be like, this shapes me more than that. But they knew me from then, and mm-hmm. they, they, they came to a show, traditional kind of like 10 comics. We all do like eight minutes, like a show, like at a comedy club. Right. And they go, they go, stand-up they go, I, I, I find it just stupid and silly. Of and, course. Um, and I go, I get it. I get it. They were like, this guy alienated me. I didn't like that girl, like blah, blah, blah. And unlike television or the internet, I can't just click the X or I right. can't change the channel. Right. I just have to endure. But one thing about it, they said they were like, do you ever just like, like what am I doing? Like you're walking on a stage and you're just like standing up there and the first thing you talk about is say a pulp that's the first thing that's on your mind and i go it is kind of an absurd thing yeah and i go if i want and this goes into kind of what we were going to talk about patience but also being present if i want to be more present Mm -hmm. there needs to be some acknowledgement of like i'm not and i'm not denying that there has you have to acknowledge the audience there's just better ways totally okay to say what's up yeah, 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 yeah. You know that's just a fa- that's just a fail that's just a failsafe. Okay. That's why I have. Have you heard my hello joke? Hello, audience. If that's your real name. Well, oh yeah, that's right. I do. Have, oh. I do say that. No, just the whole joke about the definition of the word hello. Have you heard that joke? Uh uh-uh. uh Well, I just go up there and I say hello. Did I say hello? I meant to say hello. I was looking up hello. I'm trying to find a deeper meaning to the word hello because we say it so much. Oh yeah, I think you did this at at that um. At where you were taping for your half hour at 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 uh, Mag- oh yeah yeah at, Zach uh, Sherman and at uh, French Toast yeah. yes at yes Zach, Zach and Margie's, Margie's show yeah um yeah because I, I was like I just decided I would write a joke on the concept of saying hello to somebody you uh-huh. know what I mean and it kind of introduces them to me because it introduces you to how my brain works maybe a little bit or something totally like that. Yeah, but yeah. it's like yeah you definitely have to acknowledge it and the other thing that you just said which I think is great and. Um, I've talked about this book a lot, this book called Art Objects, which I love. This woman, Jeanette Winterson, who's an incredible novelist, right? She wrote this book called, uh, one of her, her most famous books probably called Written on the Body, uh-huh. where it's about a character that has a male and a female lover, but you do not know the gender of the character because it's told in first person. Uh-huh. So you don't know if the person, the perspective of the person is male or female. Really? But they have one of each in their lives, uh-huh. and it's just about their relationships with this woman and this man uh-huh. at the same time, uh-huh. corresponding, and it's like crazy, crazy. But she wrote this book of essays called Art Objects, and she talks about that the extremely, the, the no consideration that an audience has for what a person that is an artist does. Absolutely none. Because that's and that's the discrepancy between art and entertainment. People are supposed to go like, no, you're supposed to make me laugh. You're supposed to make me escape. But right. of course, we get to a point where we're like, well, I I want to make you think. I want to challenge. It has to be entertaining for me, yeah, as well. Yeah. I don't want to just go up there and do the same shit that I know will kill. Right. But there's nothing to it. Right, right. I don't have the respect of my peers. Guess who I have to be around more? My peers. Right, right. I, I prefer if comedians like me a little bit more than audiences sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course. You said that thing in the car the other day, totally. um, you know, about like we all want to have like 
Mark Maron jokes. Yeah, yeah. But we and want this person's mainstream we appeal. We want like a mainstream appeal, yeah. but like Mark Maron jokes. And I thought that was quite fascinating. And yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll leave the other person out of it. We don't want to say disparage yeah, the shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, we'll disparage them off camera. It's not, and it's actually not disparaging. I was like, no. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's and, just and that you, type of success. And I got into a debate about, with somebody about what you said, too, because you're talking about all these comics that have quote unquote mainstream acts, mm-hmm. but you were talking about how you're sensitive to people that you feel aren't doing themselves, right? Yeah. Are doing something other than who they actually are. Right, right. And in that, in the, but in the same sense, there are people who are doing a mainstream act, but that's who they are. That's who they are. They're not lying. They're not doing anything that's fake. Uh huh. And they're just that person. And, and I've and always said you cannot knock that. And you can't knock it. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And then a, my another comic friend got a little snippety about it because he holds himself to the intelligent standard. Okay. Right. But okay. So here's the thing that Jeanette Winterson said. But this, no matter how smart or dumb you are, the the goal of to, to be a great stand is doing you. Is doing you. So said person who is maybe doing low hanging fruit. Yeah. That's if that's, if that's them, them. Yeah. Then if there's nothing you can say about. And that. I think the the big the big thing that people the criticism that happened with um Larry the Cable Guy mm-hmm. was that they go that's not him. Yeah. He's it's like a, a character. huge facade. Right, 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 and so like it's it's almost like you don't know he's this like incredibly intelligent blah, 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 guy who puts on this facade and kind of sets the culture in this direction because he knows it will work. Well, the lore is that he was like a, that was a character that came out from calling in the radio shows. Oh, really? And that he was making fun of that kind of person. Oh, wow! But then it turned into stand up, and then in a sense, he became the representative of that person, of that kind of that person. kind of person. Again, I say lore, yeah, 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 because I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. So to summarize, to, but basically to give yeah. you guys a hip hop analogy for those of you guys listening, it was that everyone wants Jay Z level acclaim while spitting most deaf lyrics. <laughs> it's really what it is, because and Jay Z's admitted it. He's like, I want truthfully, I want to rhyme like Common Sense. Right. I want to be like Most Deaf, but right. I want to also be on the radio, and I would love to. What's Most Deaf's name now? Yasin Bey. Yeah, Yasin Bey. Yeah. Um, or a, Talib. Is he? Um, is he? He originally was an actor. Most Def went to the fame school. Yeah. I believe. The LaGuardia, Fiorello H. LaGuardia in New York. Uh huh. But so? Right. So, I mean, like, technically, it's like maybe that's why he's an incredible rapper. Right. Because acting, if you're a good actor, right. it's all about getting into the mindset of someone that, you know, justifi- justifying the actions of somebody else that, right. that doesn't exist. You have to create this person. Right. So sometimes you have to play psychologist and sociologist. Uh-huh. Which I think, if you're a good actor, you can translate that into writing because you were thinking about how people work, right? You know, which is why I think most deaf is very good at describing. Yeah, he's very descriptive, obviously, totally, and he's good at describing a mental state, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and an emotional place, right? And uh, I just realized how I sounded. Yeah, like, <laughs> in a mental state, in an emotional place. I don't yeah. know who I am right now. Um. So I was doing my Todd Glass impersonation. It's like, no, no, I mean, like, another guy, like a guy that you would want to call. Like, you would call him, you know, and you'd be like, hey, what's up? No, 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 not the other guy. No, I'm just saying that I. Um, so You're, that Todd Glass impersonation is a Todd Glass meets a spoken word poet. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyone listening, I'm not claiming that that is a good right, Todd Glass right, impersonation. Right, 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 right. So, okay, let me get back to my points. Okay. One thing. My friend Josh Grossvent. Yes. Very funny comic. is now in uh, Syracuse, has some radio shows. Right. Uh, we once we talked about this. People go to stand up, and if they see a bad stand up, they go, "I don't like comedy." Yes, I don't yes. like stand up. Right, and they project a person on the entirety of a genre. But then again, if you went to opera, 
which I've been to. Well, and open I mic, an, like a music open mic. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was our that was our metaphor. Oh, that was your metaphor. Like, okay. If it's a music open mic and you see someone whose music you don't like or a song you don't like, you don't go, "Music's awful." You just go, "I didn't like that person." Right. Did you hear the next thing? But here's here's why. why? Music is much bigger than stand up comedy. I compared stand up comedy and ballet to be like at. Actually, ballet is much more niche than than stand up. But stand up, but even yeah. like going to go see like a great orchestra play, like a like a great like a great symphony. Mm-hmm. I'll go once, which I have, and if it's not my cup of tea, I've written off the whole thing, mm. all you know that genre. That genre, I will. I don't care what symphony is coming that art, to town. That form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what people do with stand up. But the thing about it though is that there's there's, um. People have a stronger sense of what they think is and isn't funny. Uh, people don't have a strong sense. Of, like a ballet performer. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of if you do or don't like it, you cannot deny the skill. You cannot, Undeniable. You cannot look at a ballet dancer uh-huh. and be like, that person's not in shape. No. And isn't flexible. Or that isn't inca- capable yeah, of Yeah, and incredibly difficult. Yeah. It, you can recognize that is an actual skill. Yes. Same with a bad so, like if someone can play the guitar. You might not like their fucking song, yeah, yeah. but you can see that is a skill. They know how to play a guitar and write yeah, a song. Yeah. But stand up is different, right? Because it's conversational, right? And because people have very strong ideas of what they do and don't think are funny, right? They can articulate one of those, you know. But also, it usually has to do with how they see themselves, yeah. And that actually what they'll they'll laugh to, but they don't give any consideration to it. So people will people are very quick to say that's not funny, that's not funny, that's not funny. But they can't articulate what is funny, right? You know what I mean? What is funny? Well, and when they when they when I get people to articulate what they think is funny, they sound stupider <laughs> than what they you know. Well, farts, snakes. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, snakes. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if you thought you saw a snake, but it was a stick, that's right. funny. Right. Why don't you do? There's a comedian named uh, Spin Wexler who doesn't really do stand up anymore, and he used to have um, a great joke about like how stand up is the only art form that people feel obligated to give you suggestions that they've never done it, but they have suggestions to try this. Your art, yeah. It's yeah like yeah. they wouldn't go to a museum uh-huh. and be like, oh, "I'm not feeling anything from this painting." Next painting, right. hey dude, I'm not a painter. Uh-huh. You should put a monkey in the corner of that one. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, next violinist. I'm not feeling any emotions, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should play it harder. Right. Um. So there's that that people write off the entirety of comedy based on a bad experience. What is? And it? even then, I don't judge a comic until I've seen them three times, at least three times. Wow. Because look, props. People have bad props. days. Yeah, totally. I have bad days. We all. Yeah, we all do. I people have seen me and I sucked. Uh huh. The end. Right. But it's like, no, come see me do an hour. Come see me do a different show. Come see yeah. me do – it's a different thing. So if I see a comedian, especially if I've heard a lot about them, uh-huh. I don't judge them on one performance. I go, I can see what people see, but I want to see them in different rooms. Right. Because I want to see if them doing really well is a fluke right. or if them doing really badly is a fluke. Right. Right? That's my standard. So there's that. But then also this thing that Jeanette Winterson said I love is people, again, that they don't, they don't respect – an art form and she doesn't I'm throwing comedy in here but it's like she's talking about that people have no consideration because we've been trained to uh, we've been trained to be instantly gratified that we have tamed our environment and we fear that which isn't instantly gratifying and so we project ourselves in all these arts 
And she says that, like, when you say, oh, I don't like this kind of music, or I don't like that movie, or I don't like that painting, she's like, you didn't say anything about music, film, or art. What you've done is you told me about yourself, right? Okay. And the problem with that is you, that's where the conversation ends. She's like, that, that shouldn't be the ending. That should be the beginning. And she's like, someone goes, I don't like it. That shouldn't be, like, the proof against. That's what she says is the problem with the statements, that they, people use them as proof against right, right, right. a form or an, of art or a genre. I don't like it. Oh, I guess that whole genre, everybody else must be wrong but you. Right, right. But why can't you articulate why you don't like it? No. No, people can't. They just go, I don't like it, and that's it. Yeah. She's like, that should be the beginning of the conversation. Right, that's right. why when I think I don't like something, I try to figure out, well, what is it that I think? That's why I like going to see bad movies. You can learn just as much from something that doesn't work. Right. As much as you can from something that does. Do you also think there's a, there's also a secondary notion in the sense that people also like to say, I don't like things because it's easier to take something apart than to build? Well, they say that. It's easier to disprove with, than I think it is to prove. And they say that with like, um, you know, like with advertising sex sells. Okay. And they say that with like critics, negativity sells. Right. And it's very easy to tear something down because you never expose yourself. Right. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. No, it, but if you say that you like something, right. that you enjoyed something, then right. you're putting yourself out there. Oh, and you are opening yourself up. You open yourself up for, for more criticism. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I enjoyed that. And people will be suspicious of you because uh-huh. you enjoyed that thing, uh-huh. especially if they didn't like it. Uh-huh. But if you hate everything, then you never have to let anyone get near you. Right. right. You dig? Yeah. We dig. We dig. That was heavy, Baron. Speaking of which, <laughs> I don't know if it's heavy. Um, you just came from a goat face rehearsal. Yes, goat face killing it. We softly. are, yeah, we're <laughs> killing them softly. Uh, we're we're doing um uh, uh sketch fest next week. So Fucking we're doing awesome, which is great. We're doing a live show. We're doing a live show. Great. And so what we were just doing. How many is, are you? There's three, four, four, uh, four of us, including myself. So yeah, me, Azavali, Aristotle, Theris, Fia Manor. Uh, and so Wait, we're. Do- who's this third person? Aristotle, Theris. Have you met Aristotle? Oh, I don't know Aristotle. Director and performer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. As well. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're doing our first live shows in San Francisco. And so we were just rehearsing, uh, we have, it's like a 30 minute show. That's the way it, it kind of works in sketch, uh, sketch fest. They give you like, it's three performers in a 90 minute. You're going three when now? Friday. So February 8th, 9th and 10th. Okay. Cause this probably will be, Oh, right. Next week. Yeah. Next weekend. Next weekend. Okay. So this will go, this is going up on Monday. So if you're in San Francisco, go see, go, go face. Yeah. Go, go see, see sketch fest in general, in general, the great shows, but make sure to go see, go. Face. Yeah. I'll be in Vancouver. <laughs> what are you doing in Vancouver? Vancouver comedy festival. Holy crap. It just kind of happened to be the exact same time. So okay. if you're in Canada, if you're in Vancouver, I'm going to be at the Vancouver comedy festival. Come to the comedy. Base. You've spent so much time in Vancouver. Dude, I had like... never been to the Pacific Northwest ever. Uh-huh. And then suddenly I have to shoot a show in Vancouver and I've been all up and down that bitch. I mean, especially and specifically Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland, Eugene, not as much, uh-huh. no Tacoma, no Idaho, right, right. but like, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. The Pacific Northwest is incredible. And the people are really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, am I ranking? And I apologize to anybody this offends. It goes Vancouver, Portland, Seattle. Vancouver's the top. Uh-huh. I like Portland better than Seattle. Uh-huh. And Seattle's okay. What goes into why, why that is? Just what, what resonates in those cities that makes you go like, It's man. just because of the kind of people. Maybe Portland. I, I don't know. Portland and Seattle is a toss-up because people in, C- people in Portland can be a little too hipstery. Uh-huh. They can be a little bit too Portland. That's a, there's a TV show called Portlandia. Right, right. And then people in Seattle can be – I feel like the, the, the hipsters in Seattle are self, more self-righteous, uh-huh. and the hipsters in Portland are more unaware, more naive. Uh-huh. But I could be wrong as well. Right. And Vancouver seems like a happy medium. 
there's kind of something for everyone there. It's the fusion food capital of the world. Right. Technically, the best sushi restaurant and the best Indian restaurant on this continent are both in Vancouver. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Vidges. Big, big, big South Asian uh, population there? Gigantic. Yeah. It's because, so I and I, I have a show idea for this, and I don't want to say anything because I don't want motherfuckers to steal it. Yeah, yeah. But Indian people and Chinese people have been in the fabric of Vancouver since its inception because it is England. So motherfuckers were coming over oh, from India right. and Hong Kong. The reason Vancouver exists is because it was a West Coast port for the British colonies. Oh, yeah. I so completely forgot about that. From the beginning of Vancouver, Indians and Chinese, Indians and Chinese. Right, just like London. Why there's just a like lot London. of... Totally. And the Japanese didn't come until a little later, but it was right, like, right. you know, and, and then everybody else. But like right. gigantic, um, gigantic population of yeah. Indians and Chinese in specific. Because I think it's the biggest Chinatown besides San Francisco. It might be bigger. Totally. Um, regardless, regardless. Do you want actually that that could segue into what I wanted to talk about? Yes, patience. That's what I'm going to say. So, what is patience? Do it. <clears throat> what do you mean when you say patience? What do you mean? I mean patience in with yourself. So it kind of ties in with forgiveness, patience with yourself, and expectations. Okay. What you were talking about earlier about being immediately a desire to be immediately satiated. Yeah. Um, I found, and this was just like t- two things. I found patience with just like society in general. Mm-hmm. Cell phones are fucking ruining it for me, man. Just this desire to always look down, get everything. It's it's too much. It makes me depressed. Right. It, ser- there's times where I'm like my cell phone. I'm like it's in my back pocket, and I'm not going to look at it for the next two and a half, three hours. I have only recently admitted to myself that I have that digital addiction. In general, it's just always something to check into and to look. And, it, and it's the, of course, in Los Angeles and New York, especially, there are there's the fear of missing out. Like, am I miss, if I'm missing something, did I miss an important call? Did I miss an important email? Who's retweeting me? Like shit, like that. Right. It's very hard to just turn it off. Right. And exist. So there's the fear of missing out, that you're going to miss out on something mm-hmm. incredibly. As professional people, that you know, we have professional jobs that we kind of get, we have to get back to certain people in our quickly yeah how important do you think like honestly how many times a day do you do do you realistically think that you need to check and be on it probably not that much definitely not that much definitely half the half as much as i actually check my phone definitely at least that no why why are you looking at me like that no 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 i was i was thinking i'm like think of a hard number i'm thinking of a hard number i said even if i were to do it four times a day i would give myself 10 minutes four times a day morning like wake up you say it's a 10 a.m or whatever get that backlog mm-hmm. post afternoon post lunch like two mm-hmm. or three mm-hmm. evening like six seven eight pre pre i go out for shows right and when i get home at night that fourth one is just like icing i, I mean who honestly besides like personal friends is like texting me at that point if yeah. i did that mm-hmm. i think i'd be in good sh- i do it so there's no such thing as downtime anymore and then the, in the weekends what about the weekends I, I, it would be, in theory, even less. It, like, the only people that would be calling are friends that want to hang out. And if you're making plans before, you kind of already know. You know what I mean? You kind of already know. Well, that's the other thing about cell phones is that uh, you it's so easy to not show up to things. Because you could just text people to be like, ah, oh, I decided not to come. But it used to be, I'll see you there at 8. And, and you either you showed be up there. or you didn't. Right. And do then you, when you saw that person again, you had to explain why you didn't show up. Do you feel overwhelmed by stuff? Just because of all this, you're like, I'm, I can't leave the house. This is just too much. Do you ever get to that rabbit hole? Of course. What are you talking about? 
I know I'm talking to you. Baron Vaughn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> of course I get in that rabbit hole, and it has to do with all that anxiety. I think it was, I think that, um, I never, I didn't used to have that as much. And then with social media, specifically with us being comedians and the, like, I love this blog, by the way. Comedy Bureau is a great blog. It posts all the shows. But then there's like, okay, I have a spot here. But there's all this other stuff happening. I got to go experience it. Otherwise, I'm missing out on my comedic existence. Right. What am I talking about? Like, that's not living, being present in the moment. You can't do everything. Exactly. And so it's this, like, it, and it's all from a, a lack of, like, not being patient and not being present. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm being impa- I want it all at once. And it's like, that's so stupid. Well, you know, and it's in theater school, we, we learned so much about being present and being in the moment. There's a lot of stuff that is Eastern in thought. Right. In like Eastern philosophy. Right. In that just kind of naturally comes up. Are you like present a, on stage? I, when mm, I watch you, I feel like you're present. I, how can you sometimes, rattle like that? And, sometimes. So you're telling me when you whip, whip up into a frenzy like you sometimes do. Yeah. Your your mind is somewhere else. You're just like execute. If I joke. if I'm not whipping up into a frenzy, then my mind is somewhere else. I it's very easy for me to. I'm and I'm trying not to. And uh, I did a show last night at the Improv with uh, and Moshe Kasher, Moshe Kasher and Graham Elwood were on it. Uh-huh. And you know Graham Elwood at all? Uh huh. Well, anyway, this both of them are fucking incredible. Yeah. And they're they're masters of what they do. Yes. And I should feel i should feel and used to feel inspired by that and now sometimes i feel defeated by it i used to go like i could do that and rise to the occasion and i'm like i should be doing that perhaps i'm incapable and shrink from it right uh-huh. now moshe said something to me that i thought was really interesting and he just basically said what do you worry about it's a fucking spot at the improv you know that's well that's all it is yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a spot at the improv yeah but I've been putting too much pressure on myself to fucking deliver in every single spot. Right. So when it doesn't happen, then I feel even worse. I'm like, no, because I'm doing the jokes I know work. So I'm trying to get back to my sense of fun, my sense of spontaneity, which seems to only really come out when I do a long set now. When I, imp- when I do like an hour, uh-huh. like, and, especially, and especially certain clubs that I feel completely in my zone. Right, right. You told me about these, this set of shows that you had at the Laughing Skull. Where you were able to like get into the the nooks and crannies of like barrenness, laughing skull, Cap City, like certain City places Club. bring it out in me, and it's like th- I'm I'm in it. And there's a and a, uh, oh, you know what, Sacramento Punchline, Sacramento Punchline, which I was afraid of. Really, I guess I just expected it to not be as good as the San Francisco Punchline, right? Because it's like the San Francisco Punchline is considered one of the best in the country. Uh-huh. It is an incredible club, yeah. And San Franciscans tend to operate intellectually on a different way, yeah, yeah, yeah. at a higher level than most other cities. Right, right. That's a fucking right. dick suck to San Francisco. I'm from I'm from Sacramento. I grew up. My, right. I was born there. Yeah, yeah. Davis. So, so yeah, right outside Sacramento. Right, right. Davis. Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Sacramento, I'm like, well, it's a little bit more working class. Sure. I tend to be erudite. Right. Because right. I use the word erudite. Right. right erudite right. in right. the first place. And I don't know why I was expecting Sacramento to be bad. And uh, it ended up being Emily Heller and, and Bubbles, Larry Bubbles Brown. Oh, my God. That's um, a great week. Yeah. Emily hosted and, and then Larry featured. Uh-huh. And Larry's a fucking, because I hear he won't headline or something. He has a thing about it. Uh, he has a lot of things. But yeah. he's like. He's he's a genius. He's, he's a, and he's a legend. Like, he's, he's a legend a and he's a genius. Yeah, and it's yeah. like to watch him do, especially so. I got on my. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> so I 
had such a good time. I was expecting such a bad time. Right. But that crowd was so into me. Right. Then there were things that happened that were so spontaneous that it brings stuff out in me that I don't even expect. Uh-huh. And I, it's almost like a trance-like place uh-huh. where I get off stage. I'm like, I don't know what I said. All I know is everyone was laughing. Uh-huh. I know what my set list is, but then little pieces of crowd work and the audience talks at you and stuff. And unless someone's being belligerent, I tend to engage with them. Right. And, and generally, people won't be belligerent unless they're assholes. Because there was one point where there was uh, – because, of course, I, go, I, I handpick people that I think are going to hate me. And there was a group of black people that was like, they're going to fucking hate me. Right. Because I'm not a black comic. Right. Which tends to happen, but also there's usually black people that are like, I'm so glad that you're doing something different. Right. Right? Yeah. So, but then, it's interesting, too, because it's like, that dude, there was a dude, I remember looking over there, and like, most of them were laughing. And they're, of course, the guys, most of the guys were stone-faced, the, the machismo. Right? Yeah. So, I don't remember how I said something to them, but then... One guy was just like, I'm just waiting for you to tell a joke. Whoa. Right? But this is after 35 minutes of, forgive me, killing. You were slaying. I have been slaying to a sold-out audience. Yeah. He's the only guy not laughing, which is what I presented to him. Uh-huh. I was just like, well, that's interesting that you say that because it seems like everybody else is on the same page. Right. And you're somewhere else in I'm an asshole land. Right, 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 right. right. So audience erupts. You're waiting for me to to. tell a joke. I'm waiting for you to hear them, right? Oh, which the audience applauded at. Yeah, I was like, "Thank you for clapping." I'll remember that when he's kicking my ass later. (laughs) Right, right, right. He's punching me in the face. We're like, at least they applauded, right? right? right. Which got some laughs, and of course, his friends were all of a sudden on my side. Yeah, of course. Like, I I don't know what just happened. Like, I'm like, how did I do that? I don't know what I did. That was beautifully executed, is what it was, Baron. Oh, thanks. You know (laughs) what I'm saying? Like in that. Okay. Yeah, back to what you're saying. To, no, to get into the second chapter, because one thing I want to talk about was like patience and whatever. But this is the second thing is patience with yourself. Yes, yes, yes. I wanted to specifically talk about that with you because Uh-oh. there is a there is a there is a vision of Baron and in my case Hassan, where you know you're firing on all pistons yeah. and you are fucking a V12 Lambo racing down the track. <laughs> you are doing it. You are doing it. Okay, and it takes time to get there yeah and to make that uh, like that be a high percentage rate mm-hmm. and i'm extremely impatient with myself and i found two two things are we the same guy yeah in a lot of ways <laughs> in a lot of fucking are ways we the same we fucking yeah. guy Hassan? there's two there's there's two issues with that okay number one is just fucking calm it down it's gonna you're, you're it's gonna take time to get there just you got to keep just don't if you are going to bomb or if you do fail fail on your own terms, yes. don't fucking self-implode and then fail on those terms. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Number two, and this was by a very, very, very good like friend of mine, was just like, name it. Are you chasing a thing that you don't even know exists? Mm-hmm. In other words, is there some sort of image of what you're doing mm-hmm. that you where you want to be, but you don't even know what it looks like? Right. So you're perpetually upset with yourself yes because the self-actualized baron does not exist it is not cosby cosby already exists yeah the self-actualized prior was not cosby it was richard Pryor. yeah even though he tried copying exactly and we we talked about this so the self-actualized baron is is a thing that doesn't even exist yet right and yet you're holding yourself to a standard that doesn't exist i'm holding myself to a standard of geniuses 
First of all, yeah. I'm going like, I got to be more like Cosby. I got to be more like Pryor. It's like, uh, they struggle. Right. So it's like, how, at 11 years of experience, right. am I supposed to put myself up against those right. guys? But also number two yeah. is there's no way you can be that. It's just impossible. We, you're different DNA and different comedic DNA. You're just, it's just, it's so hard. There's no way you can. And if you were a mimic, it'd be bad. It wouldn't be good. It would be such a tragedy. Right. And people, I mean, people start out like that. Sometimes you're totally. copying yeah, 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 who yeah, your yeah. biggest influences were right, and then right. you transition to something else. Right, right. Totally. Right. So um, my problem with that uh, is I, I, I don't know how to crack it. Because there, I've also on the other side of the fence, I've had friends that aren't as critical of themselves, mm-hmm. and they because of that, there are certain things that they're not fixing within themselves that's holding them back. Okay, I have friends, for example, I remember you mentioned this on some other podcast that I heard, but like you were like, I want to write. I know that there's some people that do not long form, and the reason why I want to do that is because I do not want to know that I did something that prevented me from being great. Say this whole time in my life, I never put pen to paper, and I, I just did it out of sheer laziness. But I knew had I put pen to paper, that would have broken me. Yeah. There's stories of so many comics, had they just put down the bottle, had they just sat down and written, had they just been better in meetings, had they not just been socially awkward, had right. they not just burned br- They knew that about themselves. They just refused to do it. But I think me and you, one thing, we, we're, we beat ourselves up too much. We, we need to drink a little bit more of the Kanye juice. We need to stop fucking self Chris Browning our own egos and just beating the shit out of ourselves. Oh man. We Kanye suffer from juice. that too much. Yeah. You well, yeah, I see exactly what you're talking about. I mean it, and it's a it's a very hard thing because I, I think about what it is that trying to be patient with myself. Mm-hmm. Because of course I concentrate on the things that I haven't done as opposed to the things that I have. Right. I don't I fail to see how much I achieved because I've already done that. Yeah. So I don't see it as like I remember my joke when I did Life at Gotham. There's a comic in New York, Roger Hales. Uh-huh. And um he was on my exact episode, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And um I knew he was the only person I could make this joke to that would get it. And because it was the day of the taping, we we're about to do it. I'm like, "Hey Roger, we can quit comedy." Right. We okay. made it. Right. This right. is it. Yeah, yeah, we can quit. We can retire. Yeah, and which of course he laughed because it's like I had to say that to remind myself that this is not to be all in the end all. Getting on live at Gotham or TV in general, yeah, it is a stepping stone. Right, it is a marker. Yeah, but it's not the end. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like this is happening a lot lately. Is that comedians who were doing stand up in the eighties and nineties that got gigantic, then got movies, sitcoms, whatever, stop fucking doing stand up. Right. They're all back. Yeah. I feel like in the last four year, four or five years, right. I've started to see all these dudes, right. women and men. Right. Tim Allen, Drew who, Carey. Who stopped doing yeah. stand-up literally 20 years ago. Right, right, right. Yeah. That are coming back. Right. It, like in, in droves because that's they realize, oh, my God, that's the only thing I've ever really had control over. Like everything else is like, th- that's why I got everything else. It's because of this. And yeah. it's the getting back to one's roots sort of thing. Right. So I do hold myself to some weird, impossible standard. Right. I do have an image in my head of what I want to be, but I can't articulate it. But what I have to do, what I'm trying to do, and what, I'm try- what I believe is right, is to let that shit go 
and quote unquote, be in the moment. That if I am who I am right now, as well as I can be, all that stuff's going to happen. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not letting myself take those risks. I'm not letting myself fail on my own terms enough. Those are the things that bring me closer to what it is I believe I want to be, not just stressing out that I'm not it. Right. And holding on to the jokes I know work or something like that. Right. right. And then when they don't work, I go, fuck. Right. Well, I guess I'm further away than I thought. I had this moment yep. because the have have you did you are, are you did you do the holy fuck CD taping thing? No, because uh, I wasn't involved with the show at the beginning, beginning of holy fuck. Okay, because I tried to I didn't know that they were even doing that. Okay, I tried to get a spot for something else, and then um, and then finally Jeff and Dave got back to me. He's like, oh, we're actually recording the CD. The, okay. We're keeping it to people that you know, we're involved in the show in the first year. Right, right, right. Sorry, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, it's no, it's no problem. Completely understanding. Yeah, and you did it, though. I am doing it. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and I have this new chunk of material that's deeply personal, that's, like, about my life and how my my father immigrated, how I got here, how my family was all brought together. It was a very, like, diff- long and difficult journey. Extremely personal. And by no mean, means is it the is it a – it does well, but it's not, like, a – a six minute like set yeah just light the room on fire type of set and now there's part of me that goes down this rabbit's hole mm-hmm. of well maybe i should do this da, 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 the stuff that works the gems da, 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 da. and then there's another part of me that's like no man this is one piece of the puzzle this is like baron doing live at gotham in 2008 doing his germ joke that's a piece of it that's a snapshot in time, yeah. and I maybe I should look at it like this: be present, be in the moment. This is where my heart is. This is what matters to me right now. January thirty first, two thousand thirteen. Boom! I hope you enjoy it. This is where I am right now as a comedian. Yeah, and I and I th- I'm gonna go with that. I think that's the right choice. Um, and that's all. And I think that's that's uh kind of where I was like, man, all right, I, I'm I'm okay with these maybe decisions. Maybe you should open with no, I'm joking. <laughs> Yeah, man. There's there's that. So uh So what are those steps that you are because you know I'm uh, I'm talking about myself a lot, of course. Uh-huh. Uh what are those steps that you are taking to become more patient with yourself? Like what 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 are the what are the things you find yourself struggling with on this journey of finding yourself patience? Um comparisons. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh my there's so many people that I compare myself to and then like mark maron says he what he had had done with age he was like you recognize your limitations Mm -hmm. and sometimes i take that so hard that i recognize my limitations and i take it to the nth degree that i shouldn't even be doing this right because i can't do voices or i can't do this thing i shouldn't even be i can't tell stories like him i shouldn't even be doing this right there's so many different ways to play this instrument. It's like, why, why am I focusing on, I got to I, like stopping that. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing was just, um, do you meditate? No. Okay. I mean, I'm curious about it. Yeah. I think I should. Right. But I, I, uh, bel- I, then I decide that I'm incapable of, <laughs> uh, I decide, like, you know what? I should just let things turn off and be. I should just, I'm incapable of that. I don't even know why I would even think about doing that. That's what I do. Okay. <laughs> I decide I'm incapable of something before I've tried it. So I, I, I'm, I was born and raised Muslim. And so, you know, I pray, but um, there's a sect of Islam or like kind of like there was a movement in Islam that I really, do- have you heard of Sufism? Yes. That 
really vibes with me with what I'm where I'm at right now and what I'm going through about being present and about um, just meditating and focusing and like thinking of nothing. And I I've, I've been trying to like just read up more on that and like get into that. Okay. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. There by is... no means like by no means am I like any mom Ghazali or whatever where I can just like break no, it down no, or, or a roomie you. where I like I get it. No. <laughs> But uh, but like I'm I've been like reading more into that stuff and like yeah I mean there's a there's a um, quote in the Bible mm. uh, be in the world not of it which is a I like to contemplate um, because it means literally everything that I think we're dealing with it's just kind of like you can be in the world but you don't have to be a product of it. You know, right. you don't have the world, you don't have to be what the world expects you to be right. because everyone has this and everyone has that. Right. So we set our, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a way to be aware of that. All this, all these things that we think matter uh-huh. are fake. Right yeah. now being present is very hard, especially in this country, right? because I believe we're, it's not built for that. It is literally the opposite of our infrastructure. What do you mean? Consumerism we, is built on us feeling shitty about ourselves. Oh, it's not me- like we're not meant to be happy. We're, it is based on if we don't feel good, we'll continue to consume. We'll constantly look for that thing to make us feel better and we'll spend X amount of dollars on that journey. Uh-huh. So it's very hard to be present when literally everything around you is designed to rip your attention away from yourself right. at all times. So it's very hard to find that, to be in it uh-huh. and not of it. Yeah. When everything around you is going of it, of it, of it, of it. Right. right? And you have to be like, no, nah, man. And that's the other thing. See, I, then I get kind of, um, I, I, I get resistant to any new, and I feel like I'm very new age in some sort of ways, and then I get resistant to that. I'm like, oh, I'm, being, I'm being a fucking hippie right now. Right, right. I'm being like, nah, man, the world, if I imagine everything I'm saying in that voice, yeah, yeah. then I'm, I sound like a person who, if I was talking to, I would punch them in the fucking face. Right, right. You're like, I like, hate this person. I hate this person. Right. But there's, I, 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 I think that's it. But the thing, the problem is, especially like me and you and a lot of people, but me specifically, I go so far down on the other end of the spectrum where I'm wanting, wanting, desiring, desiring, beating the shit out of my – that I, the pendulum swings completely the other Absolutely. way where Absolutely. I'm just like I need to open up some roomy poetry and talk about how life is an illusion. Like I swing the whole other way and it's like I got – I'm trying to figure out just that perfect balance of like, oh, this is like where I need to be and like where I, where I function my best, you know? I, I'm with you, dude, and I, I feel like that is a big thing. I, you know, just opposite extremes. You go one, you go down one path, then you want to run all the way to the opposite end of the room yeah, 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 yeah. and jump out the window. Yeah. And just be like, oh, I'm stuck in the corner. I got to be outside. <laughs> right. There's outside, and you don't care. It's on the second floor. You're right. you're, it's, it's pavement below. You're like, right. I just got to do it. I got to go out, out the window, and you're like, what I got to feel that what negative am I doing? space. This is vertigo. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly, and I do the exact same thing because it's like, my biggest fantasy is disappearing and not even like death, not suicide or anything like that. Because sometimes I'm like, I wish I was dead, but it's not like I want to kill myself, uh-huh. a violent act of self punishment. Uh-huh. It's, I want things to just be off. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. Even though, and then when I think that, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Why do I think that? Right, right. So you really don't think that. It's, it's, it's almost like it was like things it's, would be easier if. If it's the, if X, then what? 
if I had X, yeah, yeah, you know, so I go like I think to I, I'll concentrate on all the things that I believe I've traded for this life, right? That I believe I've traded for this profession, uh-huh. and you know, just like things like family, relationships, stability, right? Feeling like you know what the fuck tomorrow's gonna look like. Right. 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 And I think, man, I want those so badly. Right, right. But then I know a lot of people that have that life. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they're looking at me going, man, I wish I. The I, wild, wild west, man. He's a gunslinger. He's doing it. It's always the grass is greener. That's the thing. So you have to, as you said, as Lauren Michaels said to Tina Fey, yeah. you got to find that fucking peace, that solace now within yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it will emanate out of you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the wow, see, and then it emanates out of you, bro. You yeah, know, just actually, change the way you're saying it. It's like it's basically you your heart opens it, up, and then everything it, it like swells. Like your heart's like the blob. Yeah, yeah. And everything's your heart. Man. You have any? Uh, you have any ganja? You know, it's like, oh Jesus, get away, man. I went to college with guys like you. No, okay, so I went to. Yeah, what'd you go to? Uh, a buddy of mine is getting married, so he had his bachelor party in Maui. Um, Jesus Christ! Okay. Yeah, I was like, I got. I did they, where did you, where did you get married? Uh, in the Bay Area. Jesus Christ! Everyone has to fall, fly to Hawaii. Oh, bachelor party. So just yeah, his, still. his close, 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 close friend. We grew up to like we've known each other since a very long time. All right. But 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 I, I gave him. I'm like you mother. Like this is a lot. Uh, but I, I it was the second time going to Maui in my life, and I will say this about the islands. There is I don't know what it is. There is something about humans being near water. And looking out into the abyss, I don't know what it triggers in our minds. There is some calming nature to it. I don't know what it is. It's meditative. I, what is what about it is meditative? Why do I feel calm there? I don't know what it is about it. The wind, the, the hearing of the – I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Because you're observing calmness. Mm-hmm. You're observing life that doesn't need you to run. Right. And then you realize maybe in that state – I don't need all the things I think I need. Right. This is all I need because this is all there is. And there is also something calming about when you look out at the ocean and it's infinite. Yeah. There's something calming in that. It's not panicky. Well, some people, I remember reading this book I love called Mediated. Go ahead. But when I'm on the freeway, when I was doing college runs and I would look out to the freeway of Colorado or wherever the hell I was, I'm like, I hate this. This isn't calming. (laughs) But it's still going into oblivion. But well, there was something calming. Because the, the freeway is a structure. Right. That's what it is. The freeway was made to take you somewhere and you're going there. Right. You, it was made for you. Right? right, right to right. do something. Right, right, right. The ocean doesn't need you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither does the sky or the wind. Yeah. It's there without you, with, or, with you, or without you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We came and we made freeways. Yeah, yeah. Freeways weren't there, and we were like, oh, look at this. Freeways. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank God this alien civilization left this down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Osmodiar. Right. You know, but <laughs> I don't know where. <laughs> but, okay, so mediated is uh, anthropology, sociology, media studies. I mean, it basically says it's like, it's not about the media per se as much as we are mediated beings, meaning that. Everything around us is designed to affect us. There is constantly a buffer between us and something else. Right. A, a piece of media through which we understand reality. Okay. And thus reality in itself tends to become a representation of reality. It's not real. It's a representation. And okay. the line has become so blurred. Right, right, right. And that robs us of authenticity and presence and stuff like that. Because – 
we are watching the news. The news is real, but it's being fed to us in a very specific kind of right. way. We're looking what... at everything through a lens rather than just looking at it directly at it. Exactly. And he just talked about it in lens. terms of like uh, JFK and Pearl Harbor. That was uh-huh. that was the uh, introduction. He's like, did people during Pearl Harbor talk about Pearl Harbor the way that people talked about where they were when JFK got shot? Uh-huh. Or with 9-11, because he wrote it after 9-11, where people, everyone knows where they were when 9-11 happened. Okay. And he's, but Pearl Harbor, no, it didn't happen like that. Because Pearl Harbor happened where Pearl Harbor is, and that's where it happened. Then the news slowly traveled to everybody else, yeah. but they didn't experience it. Whereas JFK, we watched it on TV. We watched 9-11 on TV. TV. Right. So we all have a very personal experience of this thing that is happening, even though I'm not there, but I'm watching it happen. Is that less va- What I'm asking you, is that less valuable? It is and it isn't because instead of being in an isolated moment of reality, like he says that people that watched JFK get shot on television probably had a quote-unquote more real experience than people who were actually at the parade because they are isolated in one moment forever. They didn't see everything that was happening. We at home watching saw all these angles and saw everything. Right. So we had a God's eye view. He's talked about it. But the problem with that is the more we see it, the more desensitized we come to it. We come to it. He's like, we watch a, you see a duck covered in oil. You're upset. Removed. Right. right. 127th time you see it, not as moved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And he's like, and it's not that we're not moved. He's like, we become connoisseurs of being moved. That's what he said. It's like, we click, we click the channel. Oh, that moves me. Click, 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 click. <gasps> that moves me. Click, 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 click. That oh. moves me. And so in a way, the desensitization, the, the desensitization, uh-huh makes us feel there but also not, not there. there and and it, it, and we don't then we don't really take any responsibility because we don't feel it using that line of logic though one could argue if someone didn't have cnn just like blow just like just shoving it down your throat mm-hmm. in theory a person who didn't have that they would see those seagulls or whatever and they would be like i'm here and i feel it and i'm not desensitized to it yeah and that's and then people dedicate their lives to making sure that shit doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everybody watching it on TV goes like, "Oh, that sucks." That sucks. On to the next thing. Right. Where's the game? Yeah. Right, right. right. So he talks about like our real selves uh, only come out in terms of necessity or accident. Huh. That when something that we haven't because our our lives are all routine, right. they're all planned. Right. It, it takes something happening that we did not expect to bring out our real identities. Right. Right. So, and he says that, like, imagine that you're driving down a country road, uh-huh. right? And you break down. Right. You just have to sit there. Right. Nobody around. Yeah. You don't have a phone. You don't have a radio. There's nothing for you to distract yourself from the present moment. You just have to sit there and wait. And he's like, and everything there is specifically there for itself. And none of it is about you. He's like, the road is, the cracks have nothing to do with you. The forest has nothing to do with you. There's no path that's been carved out for you to walk through it with little plexiglass, you know, displays of here's the vegetation that's in this area. Here's the wildlife. It's just there. It doesn't need you. And he said, then you immediately start to see what your position is in the universe. Very small. And to some people, that's very comforting. And to some people, that's very worrying, worrisome. It makes them worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how do you feel about that when you realize what you like, this, your smallness, and the the in relation to like the universe and the world? How do you feel about that? Like, 
I, it depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> Sometimes it's very comforting. Sometimes you go, I'm small. What I do doesn't matter. matter. Why don't I just do re- what re- I love and be good and just fucking. Remember the conversation we had last time you talked about Charlene Yee where someone told her what you do does not. If you quit right, no one would care. And then because of that, she's just like, I'm lighting shit on fire on stage tonight because guess what? No one cares. No one gives a and shit. And I think that's the essence of what Moshe was trying to tell me last night. It's just a fucking spot at the improv. Yeah. Right. But I put the pressure of the universe on me. The universe doesn't need you. What? Yeah. But I gotta I gotta make the universe realize yeah. that it needs me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can I make the universe call me? Right, right. Can I get the universe's number? Like if is the universe gonna text me and let me know? Like right, right. is it gonna text me LOL and smiley faces? I need to I need to know the universe cares. Right, right. It matters, right? right. So then our, design, our need to be seen, in other words. And that's when I feel the overwhelmedness where mm-hmm. I feel like that's right. Nothing I have done matters. But there are people that have done things that matter. Am I one of those people? Right. Or am I going to do anything that matters? Right. Or am I just? Right. Am I just? One of my buddies said he was like, one of the thing, biggest things that we can concern ourselves with as comedians and entertainers and creatives is, will people tweet us from the grave? <laughs> Come on, man. Like, Carlin, he's getting tweeted from the grave. Ghazali, Rumi, these cats, Frank, Benjamin Franklin, they're getting tweeted from the grave. That's, I think that's what our quest is, you know, that, that moment when Brad Pitt, you know, in um, what Troy says before the, the, they go march in. Right. Destiny's yours. Go get it or whatever. He's like, they're going to write about us. Let's go. We want to be written about. They know death is there. They know death is looming right around the corner. Right. I feel we're exactly the same as comedians. We just want to be seen and remembered. Tell me this was all. I'll say this on my. Tell me this all meant something. Right. It's right. Part, it's part of me that that craves that as childish as that, that sounds. And that is the biggest. That is the thing I say to myself when I start to feel the overwhelmed overwhelmedness right and the not wanting to get out of bed is does anyone care who cares you right. know what i mean right but it takes little reminders and i'm like but but okay does anyone care how many people do i need to care for me to feel like some people care right you know what i mean so then i then i'm like well that's fake right um i got this request from some woman or man, I wasn't exactly sure. Um, that their son was a big fan of mine. Okay. And could I please send an autographed headshot for Christmas? Okay. Because he won't fucking expect it. Okay. And they wrote me this email that how he much he quotes some of the lines from my act that he's seen online. Uh-huh. And I sent, uh, and for me, it was like, someone does care. Right. Wow. And it was like the most, I was like, yeah, I'm going to send a fucking headshot. I've been asked for headshots a couple of times. I'm like, every time it happens, I'm like, fucking someone wants, to, that's cool. Yeah. Um. So I sent a little <laughs> headshot and a little, and a, and a personalized CD, right? Yeah, yeah. I get an email maybe the day after Christmas of the picture of this boy, which I didn't, I guess I didn't register how young he was. He was like 11. Oh my God. Right. So he's in his PJs and he's opened up the CD and he's looking at it that has been personalized to him. And he gets looking at the camera and he has his, like his, his hand up in victory. Like, this is awesome. That's incredible. And the parent of that boy sent that picture to me and said, thank you so much for doing this. That's incredible. He was, he was so delighted. And I'm like, I, that's where I go. Like, yes, it does matter. And I was like, and I, and I was like, I deleted the picture. Cause I'm like, I don't want to keep looking at this picture of this 11 year old boy. But cause I'm like, now I'm going to be weird. But then, like, that's cool that that fucking that's happened. Awesome. And I'm like, that so that motherfuckers do care. 
It and this podcast, like, I'm like, I'm looking at the the numbers. I'm like, oh, people are listening. Yeah, yeah. People are listening to this. Right. I, I get. I have gotten tweeted from people. I've gotten even even just around the community of L.A. People are like, when I when I took the long fucking silence, people are like, hey, what happened to your podcast? I really liked that. I was really enjoying that. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, you listen to that? Right. That's why it was like when you could start seeing who's retweeting and favoriting you on on Twitter. Uh-huh. I was like, I didn't know that person was paying attention to me. Totally. That's a person I pay attention to. Right, right, right. But I and I need to let that go. In some uh-huh. sense, uh-huh. and just feel it's worth it, just because it's worth it, right. right? But of course, it's harder because it's our profession as well, right? This is why I've been talking about getting hobbies outside of this because I've made my hobbies my job, and then my hobbies feel like a job. Uh-huh. But then I have no escape from the thing that I did that brought me so much joy. Can I ask you a question? Do it. Ask me okay. eight questions. This is yeah. There's gonna be a lot, but. <clears throat> I wanted to mention it, but we we just kind of we kept going further in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. You talked about that author. Was it Myers who mentioned Meyer? I, I'm sorry, Ooh. the author that mentioned that because uh, we watch everything through a lens. Winterson. We become, Winterson. We become disconnected. Oh no no from no no. It. That was uh, you're talking about the the book mediated. Yeah, yeah. mediated. De Zengotita. Is okay. The Thomas okay. De Zengotita. So essentially, one of the points that it's making is that we we watch we become. Um, almost like immune to it, desensitized to it. And almost that analogy of the car breaking down and you're waiting. I pictured it when you were describing you're sitting, things are zooming past you. You can't do anything. Right. And because you can't do anything, you can't escape. I'll find myself time and time again. When I was younger, it was just me and my dad. We, we lived here. My mom was in, she, she could she wasn't here yet, but my dad, I would, w- when we were in the car, we didn't have a lot to talk about. I didn't want to talk to him. I was a kid, <laughs> like most kids. But I would go, I would turn the radio on. And I remember he said, and this like stuck with me. I didn't understand it till now. He turns it off and he's like, just no, no radio, no music. I'm like, why? And he's like, what are you running away from? Now, as a kid, you're just like, music, tunes, bop, 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 you're brain is fucking crazy but now every time i go in the car i'm turning on a podcast i'm turning on music i'm turning on spotify it's too dull the thoughts that are happening in my mind it's i don't want to shut this off and think and reflect i'm afraid what i might start thinking about i think there's some level of that Mm. music movie all that stuff there is some level of just like just dull it but do you drive in silence some night because I do the same thing. I'll listen to podcasts and music in the car, and then yeah. sometimes I'm like, I sense I can't listen to anything right now. Yes. Like it's like I just turn it off. I'm like I'm just gonna be totally here. I've done that. Like driving to shows, it's great. Yeah, rolling down the windows, kind of hearing the environment that I'm in. Being yeah, pr- quote unquote, pr- trying to be present. Totally, and it's like the best thing ever. There was also like a sense of me where I was just like, I keep through media, podcast, music, radio, whatever. I'm living other realities and I just got to start living my own reality. And that's something I wanted to tell you during the storyteller show where you were like, you were like, I love the books. I love cartoons. I love this, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, all those things are great, but it's not your reality. What do you mean? I can watch, like I can fire up Netflix and watch 10 straight hours of family guy. Right. At best, if that stuff really, really does move me or whatever, I can find analogies to reality, to my own life. Like, oh, when Peter did this to Stewie, that was like the time my sister did this to me. Okay. Um, 
but it's still not me living. That's where, like, as I'm getting older, I understand now when older comics and older people go, yeah, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not watching television. I don't watch. It's like I'm, I'm done living in other people's realities. And I think that that is very good. I almost want to say that it can be an extreme. Yeah. I think there's something to both because. But there was. Uh, let me just finish. Go ahead. Did you see the movie Wreck-It Ralph? Yes. Okay. Remember that little, that that short they had before Record Ralph called Paper Plane? Yeah, that was beautiful. They just I put that. that on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. And when to go back in our conversation when when I said name it, name what you want to do. When I saw Paper Plane and the, by the end of it, I was like, that was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to make things that make people feel like that, that happy, that touched. And when you told me at that storytelling show what that story meant to you, I was like, I want to do more of that. That make people feel something more than just passively watching Big Mama's House 3. Do you know who Keith Johnstone is? Uh-uh. He is one of the legendary improv teachers. Okay. Who wrote this book called Impro. You told me about this book. Yeah. Several people have mentioned this book. Is it a very popular book? It's a very popular book. And he says some fu- he says incredible shit in it. And I got the opportunity to like study with him a little bit in college. Um, yeah, in college because uh-huh. I found out one of my teachers had st- had had a relationship with him and had studied with him a lot and I asked her to bring him to the school. So I got to experience a master class but then like then I went to London for a semester and that was a semester that he happened to be he stayed in Boston and like taught some other kids I know, like a lot of stuff, right. which I got secondhand. It was like, damn it. I mean, I'd read his book uh-huh. and I, in that master class, it was kind of like, oh, he's fucking incredible. It's amazing. Right. And then I also went and studied improv with Paul Sills, who founded the Second City. Oh, he's one uh, of the, fa- he's the guy before Del Close. Cause everyone knows who Del Close is. Yeah. yeah. Cause he heralded the Second City and the UCB came out of <laughs> Del Close's tutelage right like a lot of the people that ended up on snl in the 80s and stuff came out of daryl but it's like a uh, closest tutelage but it's like paul sills started it paul sills bernie salins and uh, a couple of people who i can't remember off the top of my head um but it was like the compass theater in st louis and then like there's all this different stuff the legend of it right so i decided to go up around the middleman and go back to paul sills now here's the thing these improv games technically aren't designed for comedy they're designed for theater. There can be laughs, huh? But there, in both situations, that was the original intention. In yeah. both situations, it was storytelling. It's how to st- tap, tap into your own sense of spontaneity and your own natural sense of narrative. But it's not like play it for laughs, right? Which I wouldn't say that Del Close said that either. And Keith Johnstone talks about it because he talks about he in some of his books how he doesn't even watch improv anymore because it all it's all light entertainment he's like it's all cotton candy he's like you feel a little bit of a sugar rush but you haven't experienced anything that is actually going to nourish you uh-huh. and he talked about there's there's a little section it's called laughter misleads that's the title of it Whoa. where it's just like you play things for the laughs you start to get those laughs then you become addicted to the laughs then it undoes what it is that you're doing because look there's nothing wrong with laughs obviously but you know what you and sometimes you hear a laugh and you go, ooh, there it is. And you try to do, get that again and again and again and again. But you know what you can't hear? You can't hear gasps as much as laughs. You can't hear someone's anticipation. You can't hear dread, terror. 
You can't hear the sadness. You can't hear the skin, you know, getting goosebumps or the hair standing on edge. You can't hear that. Uh-huh. So it's like that stuff's also happening. So don't forget that in the midst of your laughs. Right. right? So with your story that you told that, don't tell my mother, uh-huh. I experienced all those things. Right. That's why I was like, and then also, <laughs> and then of course I got in my head and it, to course, hear your story oh my before my story and be like, son of a, he just, oh. Oh, geez. Now, I now I'm like, well, now mine's a too stupid. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Like, now it's too light. It's too cutesy or weird or whatever. Right. But it's like you, like I said, you took that audience on a fucking journey and you stopped that lapse and you went to heartbreak and you went anticipation and suspense and you came back to some uncomfortable giggles right. and you went back to relation and love. And those people were just like, this is, this is, it was a story right. by all intents. Not just like, oh, this is a thing that happened. A story. Right. Beginning, middle, and end journey. That's what you did. Right. And, if, and I'm like, if you continue with that way, you, it's ridiculous what's going to happen. Oh, <laughs> thanks, man. To me, I'm just like fucking, uh, uh, that's what I felt. Thanks, man. No, don't say thank you. This is a fact. This is not a compliment, motherfucker. Uh, all right, all right. I can't, take, I can't take your thanks. Okay. So anyway, let's get back to our point. Um, <laughs> that was a great sub point. We could definitely get into that, being able to accept love and compliments. Oh, my God. Dude. Can we talk about that? and talk about it. It, is, it does relate to patience. Um, I do comedy juice. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago. Um, stacked show. As and if, if those who people don't go, it's a it's a very uh popular show on Wednesday nights at the Hollywood Improv, and it's always they have a lot of drop ins and a lot of big names, big name comedians do it. They also have a lot of great up and come up and coming type comics mm-hmm. do it. What ends up happening is people get bumped. Uh, because yeah. famous people come in. Uh, this specific show they had Jim Jeffries, who's a like incredible comedian yeah uh, australian australian um, but cut his teeth in england I yeah believe. just like a really Very popular yeah um several other drop-ins a buddy of mine do you know andrew santino um, red-haired comedian was on punked i know him, um, but i don't know him well in the office as well so yeah. i've always told him i'm like i love you. his attitude people kept we kept getting bumped um and as we got bumped uh i started panicking uh, I knew the rules of what goes into it. I have no negative feelings towards the institution of being, but I get why it happens. I am. I completely understand. I was beating myself up about it going, Oh my God, the audience is tired. What's happening. Everything is going to shit. Why should I even, I don't even want to go up. It got to that point. The thing that I love most, yep. I was like, I don't even want to do this. Are you joking? It's what I love. So, Andrew, who was going up before me, goes, look, man, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. Just go up and do your thing. And Andrew, you know, had a good set. It wasn't his best set, but he was like, what am I going to do? And he did him. And as soon as he finished, he got off stage and left. He's like, I'm out of here. I have gone on stage, done things, and I will stay and wallow. And I will reflect on all these factors that have nothing to do with me. It's not your fault, kid, but I will reflect on it so much. And so I go up and just my luck, because I've just, I'm thinking about these things. One of the comedians before me, between Andrew and me, he bails. He 
like gets off stage at like six minutes. He was supposed to do 10. So the host is in the bathroom taking a piss. Right. Music goes. There's no host on stage. Now I'm like, I was in that 50-50. Do I just go up there? Do I just go up there? Do I wait for the host? It got to a point. Now it's like 30 seconds, 40 seconds. I'm about to go. I'm going on stage. It's it's getting weird because the audience is looking to their left at the door going, where's the host? The DJ brings me up from the back, the back, uh, back booth. He goes, oh, coming on stage, I'm an edge, whatever. And I go on stage and I, and I, and I do my set and, uh, I recover from it. And then I actually warmed up and eventually became present and I had a good set. I get off stage and this is how I'm unavailable. I am to love after this two and a half hour. And then Jen Cobra closes out. It's, it was a two and a half hour show. Plus Jesus after the show. Two, yeah, it was all, honestly like two, two plus hours. After the show, it's like 1230-ish. So it's like two hours, two plus hours, two and a half, two and a half hours. People are walking out and four or five people were like, great job. We loved your set, blah, 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 blah. And I remember saying, yes, thank you so much. Thank you, blah, 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 blah. Then there was this other part of me that wasn't even present. And I saw the other 195 people walk by and I go, you guys liked me. But then that means all these people hated me. It worked in extremes like that, that I go five people out of 200 like me. That means only two and a half percent of people like me. (laughs) 97.5% math. 97.5% of this audience wants me dead. Hassan, wait a second. Here's logic talking. You got a few applause breaks, which requires more than five people clapping. Nope, but only only five people talk to me logic so that means and i do that to myself all the time i'm so unable to accept those compliments and just be like thank you so much and just be present in that and not give a shit look there's a myriad of other circumstances it's 12 30 on a wednesday they want to go home maybe they do like you they just didn't see you maybe but like there's so many things what do i want what do name it hassan do you want all 200 people to come and lift you up like you're an Aztec king onto the, like, what do you want? What do you want, man? And that is something where I was like, what am I? That's where I'm, I'm not, it's a combination of things. I'm not being patient. I'm not being grateful. I'm not yeah. being present. Okay. Let's make a, let's make a pact to our fucking neurotic selves. Uh-huh. Uh, be more patient. Yeah. With ourselves. Right. Right. And others. Uh-huh. Accept compliments. Right. Okay. Say thank you when someone gives you a compliment. Right. And stave off the feeling of coming up with a counter argument in your head. Right. Thank you. Well, do you know this, though? Right. You said thank you, but let me tell you everything I've been feeling. Uh-huh. You'll take that thank can you, you back. Accept, can you accept love in a relationship? Or do you put up guards? Are you able to accept it? It depends. Okay. I can accept it. Uh-huh. I'm a, I would like to consider that I'm an open, loving person. It, uh-huh. But in terms of com- comedy... Then if I've been down and beating up on myself and I didn't like how my set went uh-huh. and people compliment me, uh-huh. I want to tell them they're wrong. I want to go like, no, 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 that was not a good set. You haven't seen me have a good set. Right, right, right. That's what I want to say, but that's bullshit. And that's a negation. It's an it's insulting to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know what their standards are. I don't know anything about them. 
So it's like, but I what just, does it matter? They just they enjoyed it. What does it matter? What they're standing? They like you exactly. But, shouldn't that be enough? Well, that's the other thing. Is like, I, and I, I'm saying this. I need to take this just as much as I'm dishing it out right now. Exactly. Uh-huh. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. We're uh-huh. we're on the same page with this. Right, right. But then also, it connects to me not feeling I did everything I know I can do in my power. And like you said, fail on your own terms. Even if I have a, if I, when I've had bad sets, but I did it on my own terms, I'm at peace with it. Yeah. yeah. And when people come up and compliment me after that, I'm like, yes, thank you. You are right. You are absolutely right. You are right because I felt good about it. Right, right. And it's like, and if you were with me, that means that you know what the fuck's going on. Right, right. And I don't give a shit about anybody else. Right, right, right. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Because we're on the same page. Right. (laughs) But if it's like a good show and then I get laughs. But I feel like I, at some point, took a step back from my own ability in order to get the laughs or in order to, quote unquote, deliver and, be, and establish that I'm established or that I've done shit and prove myself in this way that doesn't necessarily matter. Then when, I, when they compliment me, then I'm like, well, no, no, you're wrong because I didn't feel it. Right. right. I disagree with you. Right. You know, hey, you're really great. Agree to disagree. Right. 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 And it's not funny. Yeah. It's It's not funny to them because they don't fucking know. It's like immediately combative, actually. It's combative. And then they go away going like, wow, comedians are really fucked up. That's where that myth comes from. Yeah. Uh, That myth. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. We've been talking about how fucked up we are this entire time. Uh, Yeah. That myth that comedians are fucked up. Come on. You and I, maybe. Uh, Comedians can't say. Some people are just fucking great and they make people laugh and they blah. But I'm just saying, so let's be patient with ourselves. Okay. Let us approach the risks, right? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, what else? What else is there? What are, what, are, what are your self-promises going forward from the moment I hit stop? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's when we sign it in blood? Um, I think you summed it up. And I think... Um, yeah, that was it? Yeah, that was it. So I know there are a couple of comedians out there that listen to this uh, because I've seen you on Twitter. Guys, fuck it. <laughs> Guys and gals, fuck it. Right. Make the same promise. I'm, I, it, if you're listening to this, it means you're a fan of me. You know what's so funny about like because of podcasts and all this stuff? It debunks. There's no myths anymore. There's you no know what? mystery. Was it you that was telling me about that? Was it, I don't know. Maybe. Somebody was telling me about like, oh no, it was Ben Bazuna. Uh-huh. You know Ben Bazuna? Yeah. Um, I like to call Ben's him Bezu Phillips. Ben's my boy, man. I like Ben. But he's talking about, he's a young comic. Yeah. He's talking about how he's listened to all these different podcasts. Yeah. And he feels like he knows shit that he should have never known. Yes. He should have never known. This is the shit that he should have learned when he was featuring on the road from some older comic that came to town. He's like, let me tell you how things are. Yeah, yeah. Now he can just go download it. From right. those same people, right, right, right. and he hears all the the steps and all the shit, and I'm like, I, and I and he's like, I feel like I know all these things that I should have never been aware. Wisdom of. from all the sages, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I will say this: what applying it is the toughest thing in the world. It is the toughest. The formula to success is like there is no known, formula, right, right, right. But the the necessary there is no formula. But I'm saying just the necessary things to get. GSD get shit done have been the same since my dad was an oligarch in India. I remember I had to study for something and I was like, dad, if I took this class, like this extra camp science camp thing, I would do really well in this class. And I remember he sat me down at the desk. He turned the lamp on. He grabbed the book out of my backpack, put it there. And he's like, that's what you need. 
to do well in your class. Like, look at your lecture notes, read the book, you'll do well in the class. You don't need the extra thing. You don't need to go to San Antonio for eight weeks to like whatever. Now, there's a level of cheapness to that, but there was also a level of like, it's old school work ethic. You want to get good at stand up, you got to do it a lot. You got to record yourself and then rewrite and get better and keep doing it. Applying that is extremely difficult, just like working out, getting an eight pack, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We just gotta not worry about fucking the mainstream stuff. You gotta do what you do. Yeah. So that's why I say I don't know if it's good or bad in terms of like knowing all this extra knowledge and stuff. Oh. Because if I, when I started doing stand up, had heard everything that I think from a comedian that was 10, 11 years along, Uh at at one year in, I don't know if I would have been able to just feel like I could do stand up with impunity. See, that's the thing. When I was not, when I didn't feel the pressure of, oh, now I've done this television stuff. Yeah. Some some people have heard of me. I could do it. That's why I got heard of, because I was I was fearless. Uh-huh. I could do whatever the fuck I, I want. There I was told, no stakes. I told you I loved I loved that shark show set of you on YouTube. Oh my god, and that's from so long ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember I looked at the upload date. I remember that. Yeah, it was like two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. Six maybe. Jesus and I go look. The technical expertise that you have as a Shaolin master are probably far more than you did then. But the rawness, you can't learn that in the dojo, man. That's <laughs> that's like you gotta go to battle. Oh my god. But also there's a level of naivete where that's beautiful. Like that's so vital. You lose that. We can't lose that bright eyed and bushy tailedness. Like whatever that that's a promise that I have. And that's myself. and that's 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 the biggest promise. That's a big promise I'm trying to make to myself right now. Risk. Take it. Go for it. Uh-huh. Fucking fail on my own terms. As long as I am opening myself up to actually do what it is I know I'm capable of doing. Right. Then I then there's not there's that's the only standard I need. Right. Everything else will quote unquote maybe fall into place. And maybe it won't. Doesn't right. matter. Right. If I'm in that present moment. But you'll be so at peace with it. it I'll be at matter. peace with it. Fuck, now I feel like I need to go to a mic. There's no mics tonight. I'm doing two shows tomorrow, so I'll apply it, but I'm trying to tape something. See, that's the, that's the other thing. Oh, my God. I remember getting into it. You know Gary Goldman at all? Yeah. Gary Goldman moved back to New York a couple of years ago before I moved here. And I yeah. met Gary actually in the first year that I did stand-up because I was in Boston. I was doing stand-up in Boston. Uh-huh. And I like Gary a lot. He came in because he always opened for Dane Cook because that was his fucking boy. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. So then I started seeing Gary at all these little shows that I was doing, like these open mics and these little things that like the pros would come in and Gary was back in town and I saw him work out some of the bits that are some signature bits of his now. Okay. Like grapefruit. uh, Did you do grapefruit? Cookies. Oh man. It was the sugar cookie. Like that's all you're bringing to the table. You have sugar. Uh-huh. Hey, sugar cookie. Every cookie is a sugar cookie. Right, right, right. A cookie without sugar is a cracker. Like right. it was this whole, I saw him work out that that bit. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's what stand up is. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, at this, what the hell? I forgot, totally forgot the name. Oh, yeah. So, so when we became friends a little later in life, you know, because I started getting better and, I, and he started start seeing me around. He's like, oh, I remember you. You were pretty funny. He had moved. He had come to L.A. for a while, and he moved back to New York. And the reason, he said, was because in L.A., it's hard to do – the sets are far and few in between. 
And every time I have a set, there's someone in the audience I need to impress. So then I switch to, well, I better do the fucking tight eight. I better do the, the 10, the 8, the 5, the 7 that I know is going to fucking kill right. because that person's here and I need to impress that person. He's like, so where was I supposed to build material? Where was I supposed to follow my face? Right? That's why he moved back to New York because there's not that pressure there. That's right. why New York is grad school for stand-up. Right. That's why you can fucking do – and I've had this idea lately of camping out for like two months yeah. of the year in a city that has a comedy scene that I don't belong to. Oh, and just going up as much as possible, right? Lowering the stakes, going to San Francisco for two months, yeah, and, and doing every fucking show I can right, do. Right. Purple Onion, every every, every place. show, yeah, yeah, I don't care. Right, going to Austin for two months, right? Every show, Chicago, Seattle, DC, every fucking show. Why? Why is New York out of the question again? Because you you've already no, I would go to New York as well. Yeah. I'm just saying it's it's good to go to a place that I don't. Have. Do you look back at the New York days fondly? I do. Yeah, I do. And I also realized at the end of it that I was I started to become who I am now. I started to beat myself up. I started to become more depressed and neurotic at the end of New York before I came to Los Angeles. But I look back at those days and. Like those days, like for that shark show. Yeah. And like that was probably my. Yeah, that was probably definitely like the happiest I was where it was just kind of like I was still on the verge of figuring shit out. People saw that I had something. I knew, I was having fun talking about whatever the hell I wanted in the way that I wanted. I was paying my bills. I didn't have a lot. You know, I had like a twin bed that an ex-girlfriend gave me right. that um, a new girlfriend was like, I can't stand at your place because you have a twin bed. When you buy a full bed, then give me a call. Right. It's like, okay. And then I bought a full bed and then we broke up. Uh-huh. So, but then I had a full bed. And I was like, right. I bought a bed. Like that was like a like, big thing. It was a big thing. And I remember yeah. buying a TV. That's mine. <laughs> Shit like that. So, but yeah, I definitely look back on that fondly because I was in the zone, you know? And I wasn't the best comic ever, but I wasn't the worst comic ever. Right, right. But at least I was trying. The was thing trying. I loved most about that set, I told you, it was the spirit. It, I didn't care. That sounds so cheesy. No. How cheesy does that sound? But it wasn't. I Look, I, the structure of the joke, fundamentals, we, you know all that stuff now. I was talking about just the soul in it. In Arabic, they call that the ruh, the spirit. You had that. I could see it, and it's like that was the most beautiful thing about it. Remember, everybody listening, remember your spirit. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, man. Remember your core. Do exactly what it is you want to do. There's no reason to do anything else. Right, right, right. Why? Right. You know, just don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Though. Okay. That's, that's important. This is a side, this is just a side tangent before we get out of here. Yeah. There's part of me where like, it kind of informs the way I live where like, I know like comedy is like a, a place where like, it's very staunch and like, kind of just like, no God, atheism, blah, blah, blah. We're all just, just neurotransmitters. See, there's certain things that I see where I'm like, there is such thing as a spirit. There is such thing as like, there's more than just neurons. I don't know. And maybe that's very childish of me to think that. But there's moments where I see in certain performances, I'm like, it's more than just neurons and chance and probability and stuff like that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll revise. Science. I'll revise. If you are a spiritual person, yeah, remember your spirit, remember your soul. Dope. But if you are an atheist, uh-huh. remember your fucking core. That's dope too. Remember, remember your why. Remember your motivation, your drive. Yeah. Find that flow. Yeah. That we might think is uh, serendipitous happenstance. Etc. Yep. Etc. All right, Hassan. Dude, time for you to go drive in traffic. Yes.
turned off into traffic, he went for a long drive to wherever the hell it is he lives. I don't even know where the hell he lives. Guys, that was the podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, if you enjoy this, please leave reviews and, and ratings and all that shit that's important to the internet, to Jacob Internet, the guy that runs it. Go on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever and leave leave ratings, you know, high ones, good ones. Check out the All Things Comedy Network. Um, lots of great podcasts. Here's a couple off the top of my head. Recently, The Champs joined All Things Comedy. I've been on The Champs. I talked at length, at length about my um, romantic life philosophies which of course fascinate the fuck out of people and they have infinite amount of hypothetical questions for me um so that was on the champs uh or walking the room which i've also been on the dork forest which i've also been on uh bone zone which i'll never be on uh the long shot which i just recently did an episode with those guys had a great time with sean conroy jamie flam and amber kenny and uh, that'll be out soon, but check out their, their backlogs. Harland Highway, uh, Jake This, Bill Burr's morning podcast, morning, Monday morning podcast, Skeptic Tank, uh, just all sorts of great stuff. The Laugh Spin podcast. Guys, do it. ATC, all things comedy. Um, and um, that's it. I'm going go, gonna to go watch some Walking Dead. I need to catch up before the new season starts. All right, bye. Biatches. What? What? What?